Hello and welcome to the Canon Cast, a weekly Columbus Blue Jackets podcast on the Fans First Sports Network, brought to you by the Canon. Visit jacketscanon.com for the number one fan site for Blue Jackets fans on these here internets. I'm your host, PD, and I'm going solo tonight. So I thought it was a good time for a mailbag or a mail bag, because huh? it's May. Get it? All right. Anyway, uh, Monday afternoon, I solicited for questions on Twitter uh, at, at CBJ Cannon, uh, and I got some really good. So let's just dive right into it. We will start with friend of the pod and Canon subscriber Maria DeVito. She says, so thoughts on soon to be head coach Pascal Vincent feels like the team never learns and just wants to be cheap again. Yeah, so this is sort of the top story in Blue Jackets land this week. The Jackets are focused now on completing their head coaching search. Uh, Aaron Portsland reported that they wanted to have that done this week before Yarmo heads off to watch the world championships over in uh, Finland and Latvia. So, uh, and Elliot Freeman on the 32 thoughts podcast reported that the jackets were um, ahead of some other teams in terms of where they were in the process. So uh, it's very probable that this week we could have an answer on who the coach will be. And uh, the bad news is, it feels like momentum is growing for associate coach Pascal Vincent to get promoted to the head coach job. Um, it's both Portsline, Freeman, other sources are saying the same thing that, you know, Vincent is definitely in the mix. And uh, it that feels like just a big, a big letdown uh, because it's just following the same process that we went through two years ago where we were coming off a disappointing season and somehow Yarmo thought that the best option was to promote one of the assistants from that team. Um, and I, I just, I struggle to see how that is the right answer and why would that be the right answer two times in a row when it didn't work this time? Uh, now I had a good Twitter conversation on Sunday with, uh, commenter ameliorate and you know she was defending that you know vincent and larson are different and this is true they're i think they are different kinds of coaches they have different backgrounds uh you know larson had just two years of head coaching experience in the ahl coming into this whereas vincent coached for a number of years in the queue and then also a number of years in the ahl and in between he had time behind an nhl bench in winnipeg so he has a lot more years of head coaching experience and on multiple levels. So that's an advantage over Larson. I think Vincent is more of a tactician than Larson. Um, so I can believe that he would be a better hire than Larson. I struggle though to believe that he would be the best hire available this time, just because I think we need a fresh perspective, you know, because what sort of, preconceptions will he be carrying in that he has built over the last two years when maybe someone new would have a better idea of how these players can be utilized that he did not do now sure he could have gotten uh overruled by larson on some stuff but i remember people saying the same thing two years ago that well maybe there's stuff that larson wanted to do that torts would not let him do and yet over the last two years did he really do that much different 
I think the things that he did different from Torts for the most part didn't work out. And uh, Dark and Stormy uh, replied to Maria's question with one of his own. How likely is it that for the second time in two years, the best head coach available happened to be in-house? Yeah, and that's a great point. That seems very unlikely. And as we know, two years ago, Larson was not the best head coach available. They thought he was at the time, but by firing him after two years, that's an admission that he was the wrong hire at the time. And now it was reported two years ago that, you know, Pascal Vincent was in the running, uh, that they liked the interviews they had with him, uh, obviously. And that's why they then wanted to add him to the staff as an assistant because they were so impressed with him, um, but just not enough impressed with him to make him head coach. I know he had only interviewed uh, via Zoom because of being in Canada and the pandemic still going on and all that. Um, so it makes you wonder if he would have gotten the job two years ago if he'd interviewed in person. Um, but should that matter? You know, um, like on one hand, I'm glad that Yarma would be admitting that he made the wrong call two years ago, but it doesn't make it any better because it's still frustrating that we had to go through the last two years. Because two years ago, I mean, I haven't gone back and listened to it, but I'm sure, I'm pretty sure I was not happy with the Larson hire. I had issues with the Larson hire at the time. So, like, I could have told Yarmo back then for a nickel that he was making the bad call. Um, and that Vincent would have been, I would have been very intrigued by hiring Vincent at that point. I hadn't heard of Pascal Vincent, but I would have looked at the record, would have said, yeah, okay, I get what we're doing. Also, we were rebuilding at that point. It didn't matter who he hired, you know, or, you know, a coach that was like, had experience with development and all that. And, you know, an outside voice and everything like, yeah, sure. Give him a shot. What do we have to lose? But now two years later, the roster is a lot different. The pressure's on, uh, you know, this is probably going to be the last coaching hire that Yarmo gets to make. Is he really willing to stake everything? on Pascal Vincent, you know, um, and also if he's going into this process where Vincent's the first one he's considering, is it going to be the whole Lars bar thing again, where he's then comparing every candidate against Vincent, as opposed to just weighing them all on their own merit. Ah, <sighs> Again, I, you know, I think Vincent probably is a better coach than Larson. I mean, it's not hard to be. And he could be good for the team. But the process really bothers me. The optics of it really bother me. So I hope this is much ado about nothing. I hope that one of the other candidates they talk to uh, impresses them more and is a better fit. Um. You know, I don't know who that's going to be. Uh, I've, I've been saying my top choice would be Andrew Burnett, who, you know, did a great job as interim head coach for Florida. Uh, certainly helped the Devils take a step forward this year as an assistant there. So he'd be an intriguing option. Um, Freeman also talked about uh, Peter LaViolette could be an option. I'm not as enthused about that one, but 
he's a guy that has had a lot of success at multiple stops in his NHL career. So um, he could be the one to sort of get things on track uh, for this roster. So uh, keep, uh, keep an eye on that this week. And obviously if a decision gets made, we will have another pod talking about that uh, next week, but oof, yeah, I am not looking forward to, uh, you know, based on this Vincent news. All right. Uh, next question. It was uh, more of a comment. I said, like, you know, I take people's thoughts or, or comments. Uh, this is from uh, our friend Doc H. Boyd Hottentot. Uh, sure wish I knew for certainty who is the best of Smith, Carlson, and Fantilli. Uh, yeah, that is uh, – I wish I knew that as well. Uh, just wish I could see more prospect-level hockey. You know, it's not easy to watch these guys. Um now, I don't know that I want to know who the best is. Uh, I guess only if I could be sure that Anaheim was going to take just the second best guy of the group because uh, I want the best one of those three. Um, Fantilli, you know, he's almost certainly going to go to Anaheim. Now, there is a chance that Anaheim goes in a different direction because um, they, they are set at center. So maybe they want Mitchkov. Maybe they're willing to wait for Mitchkov. It seems like Pat Verbeek has been pretty patient with this rebuild in Anaheim and uh, you know, Mitch Coffin come in in three years, he'd be on a, you know, two year entry level contract just as Zegris and McTavish are, you know, getting paid more. So that could work for them. Uh, there are some scouts that have said that they like Carlson as much as Fantilli, if not more. So Carlson could be a late riser. He could jump over Fantilli again. Uh, they're both playing at the world championships. So, uh, you know, Carlson has been playing with adults and professional hockey already. Fantilli has been playing college hockey. So can he make that leap playing with, you know, NHLers on team USA? Uh, we'll see. Uh, Carlson though, so far he is, he's playing center at the tournament, which he had, uh, had been just playing wing, uh, so far professionally. So that's a great opportunity playing center for a really good team. Sweden, he's got one goal in three games so far. Uh, and Sweden has only allowed one goal through three games, which is really impressive. Uh, now the two shutouts were Germany and Austria. So, you know, take that for what it is, but they only allowed one goal from Finland while they're playing in Finland. So, uh, I think that says a lot. So obviously Carlson was able to contribute to the team defense there. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still curious about Carlson versus Smith. I think that's our most likely pick. Both Yarmo and JD have said uh, on in, in interviews they feel like they're going to take a center. So I think that crosses Mitchkoff off our list. So it's assuming Anaheim goes Fantilli, it's Carlson or Smith for us. Um, stay tuned to the canon this week. On Thursday, we will have a profile of Will Smith. Uh, we posted Mitchkoff last week. Carlson two weeks ago. So you can go look those up and, uh, you know, read the reports, watch the highlights and, you know, we'll see which way we go. I think Smith sounds like he's more dynamic offensively, but Carlson is, man, he's a big body. And uh, I think a big body center is something that this roster could really use. All right. Now from a, uh, another friend of the pod, Ben Gelman Chomsky, Assuming better health next year, will the CBJ be in the mushy middle as the roster stands or ticketed for another high draft pick? 
If it's the latter, should they try to sign players who will improve the record or see if they can luck into Celebrini or another top prospect? Um, that's a good question. I, I do think if healthy, the floor of this roster is too high to be in the running for another top five pick. I don't think this roster is going to be that bad. And especially with a coach who is, you know, at worst replacement level. Um, So better health, better coaching should at least bring the team up to, you know, 76 points, which was the over under for this season. I I do think that that over under is probably accurate for this roster. If healthy based on some of what we saw, um, but, you know, it's not going to be the same roster. You know, maybe we'll be able to add Leo Carlson right away. We're getting Alex Texier back. We're getting Dmitry Voronkov. Uh, there's going to be a, David Yerchek's probably going to be uh, on the defense, which should help a lot. Uh, they're probably going to trade or sign for a veteran left-handed defenseman to be in the spot behind Wierenski. So there's going to be some changes there, which I think will be for the better. Um, some, you know, some of these kids are going to, you know, have a year of experience under their belt. Um, so I, I don't think this team's going to bottom out now. It's an interesting hypothetical though, if they were going to be a, a bad team again, do you try to add veterans to get better or do you like bottom out or stay at the bottom? Again, I, there's just, I think there's just too much talent on the team to be able to do the Chicago style bottom of mouth like that. The ship has sailed on that. In a way, we sort of lucked into all those injuries making us so bad that we're able to pick in the top three. You know, that's that's the silver lining of having such an absurd amount of injuries. Um, I think if not for those, we would be picking it like the Philadelphia spot or the Washington spot somewhere in the, you know, seven to 10 range, I think is more of the kind of team we would have been this year, but I do expect us to take a step forward and be at least maybe mid eighties, maybe be something in like the, uh, Ottawa or Buffalo range, you know, so a team that doesn't make the playoffs, but at least is in the mix come trade deadline for the playoffs. And, if you are in the bottom, I don't think it benefits you to add players to improve just to get to the middle, you know? Um, but if you're in the middle, it could be worth it to add players to help you get into the playoffs because there's just lots of benefits, even if you're going to lose in the first round, but just getting into the playoffs can matter. Um, I don't want to add players just to add players. I don't want to add... Uh, players with a lot of term if they are just kind of a stopgap measure. Again, like a veteran lefty uh, on defense, I don't want to add someone like that on a long deal knowing that we've got guys like Stanislav Spozel or Denton Matejchuk that could be coming in in the next year or two and taking spots there in defense. I don't want I want to block those guys again, like the Branson signing. It was way too long for filling a role that we only needed for maybe a year at most. 
and you could argue that we didn't really need him that much this year either. Um, so I don't want to add another player like that just to add a player, just to add another point or two in the standings or, you know, even five points in the standings. Um, someone I would be interested to add would be a younger player. And by younger, I'm meaning like maybe 25 years old or something. Um, that could be part of the team as they move into contention in the next two, three years. Uh, that's the kind of piece I want to add rather than just a one year stopgap kind of measure. Cause that kind of player is not going to make the team better. That kind of player would again, just be filling a role, being kind of a mentor to players, being someone who could eat minutes, someone who could allow other players to spend more time in Cleveland, getting those kind of development minutes. Um, that's the kind of thing I would look to add this summer. Maybe if you couldn't add another player, that would be part of uh, the core. Um, so we need to think that we need to kind of think long-term with acquisitions we make, not just someone that'll make us a little bit better next year. The growth for next season, I want to come from the guys internally that are part of the core moving forward. And that, you know, that includes Goudreau, Wierenski, Line A. I mean, that kind of sets the, the opening of our window needs to be while those guys are here. And then in five years time, we need to be competitive with a group that includes, you know, Johnson, Marchenko, Juracek, and, you know, whoever we pick this year at number three. Um, so that we need to think long-term with who we add this year, not just how much better can we get this next season? I'm really not as concerned with the point total or the standings position we just need to be better. We just need to be growing and see individual improvement from the players that are important for that long-term growth. All right. We will take a quick break and we will be back with a question that touches on the, uh, the playoffs that are going on. All right. So our final question of the night comes from our friend, Eric seeds, who Apparently it was too busy working tonight to be on the podcast, but not too busy to send a tweet. Bastard. All right. Uh, he says, given that we could conceivably get a Seattle Vegas Western conference final, can we finally move past Columbus was hosed by the expansion process since it's been a quarter century and ask real questions of where this team is after a decade of the same management. So I don't think that that's an either or situation. Uh, I think both of those things can be true. Uh, I would say that, yes, Columbus was hosed by the expansion process. <laughs> but also, yes, that has been long enough ago that it really doesn't matter for what the team is doing now. But people are you know, going to bring up the fact that Vegas made the playoffs in their first season and they made it all the way to the Stanley Cup final. Seattle made the playoffs in their second season and won a series and are, you know, made it to game seven in their second series. That's going on right now. As I record, they're down one, nothing at the second intermission. Uh, and Columbus, meanwhile, took them to their eighth season to make the playoffs and took to their 18th season to actually win a series. But it's not a fair comparison because they had such, they came into the league in such different circumstances. 
So I think a better comparison would be the Minnesota Wild, who came in the exact same year the Jackets did. They had to split up the same pool of players in that expansion draft. Uh, The one advantage Minnesota had was that they won a coin flip that gave them a higher pick in the entry draft. So they got Marion Gabrick. We got Rusty Klesla. So they got a little bit better of a rookie piece to start with. But um, they handled that expansion draft better than Doug McLean did. Minnesota made the playoffs for the first time in their third season. And they made it all the way to the Western Conference Finals that year. Um, And much like Seattle, their first round was a seven-game win over Colorado. So go figure. Now, and... If Doug McLean had the Vegas expansion rules, would he have found a way to screw that up? Probably, because he was a bad GM. We've got plenty of evidence that uh, that was his screw-up. But uh, I think a lot of what he messed up, Scott Housen was able to clean up, at least enough to get the team into the playoffs in 2009, and he helped get the roster back on track in summer of 2012. And that was a lot of the core that Yarmo then was able to build upon. And this roster is Yarmo's roster. He owns this team for its faults and for its strengths. And I think there's a lot of both. I think he's done a lot of good things. I think he's done some head-scratching things. And I think reasonable minds can disagree as to which side outweighs the other. I think there's plenty of arguments on both sides. And we've certainly argued that plenty on this podcast over the years. And we will continue to as long as he is the general manager. So uh, you cannot blame the circumstances for which we entered the league for the position the franchise is in now. That is all on current management. Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. You can say that we can finally move past it. Like we've been able to move past that for a while, I think. And, yeah, it is time to talk about Yarmo. It has been time to talk about Yarmo. We have been talking about Yarmo for years now. So uh, I don't think that anyone's saying we can't discuss that. Um, that's kind of a straw man there. Um, but I also think it's fair for Columbus fans to be bitter about the circumstances that Vegas and Seattle got entering the league and how quickly their, their fans have been able to enjoy success. And we had to wait so long for that. And that's that's unfair. Um, some of that is the league's fault for the process. Some of that is ownership's fault for trusting Doug McClain, who is a bad general manager. You know, that's what we can blame for. It. And that's, you know, it's not our fault. We didn't pick the owner. We didn't pick, we don't pick the general managers. You know, we just root for the team because it's our team. And we've just gotten the you know short short stick a lot of the times here um and we haven't had you know draft luck like we've talked about um it sucks like and and it's okay to feel bad about it you know uh it's it's not fair but it's also something we can't control so all we can do really is continue to hope for the best and um you know if you feel like speaking out uh, about management uh will convince ownership to change management, then then go for it. I don't know that they will. Uh, I think the bottom line is the only thing ownership is concerned about. So uh, it is what it is. But yeah, Seattle, Vegas, Western Conference final would 
kind of sting uh, from a standpoint of those franchises having so much success so soon. Um, from a hockey standpoint, however, I think that could be a lot of fun. Honestly, that's uh, those are two really exciting teams. A lot of fun to watch. Vegas is loaded with some star players like uh, Mark Stone and Jack Eichel. And Seattle's just a really balanced team. And that's that's kind of fun. Obviously, I love the Bjorkstrand element there. Um, but yeah, I thought this was going to be a playoffs where the stars were going to step up. Uh, not the Dallas Stars, just team stars, you know, star players. Um, because like when it comes down to crunch time, like who's the guy that can put the team on his shoulders and just make the play to win the game? Um, but that hasn't really been the story of this postseason. Uh, a balanced team like Seattle, a balanced team like Carolina. Carolina, you know, they've lost some key scoring threats. Max Pacioretty played like a game or two for them. Uh, Andrei Svechnikov got hurt late in the season. They lost uh, Tuva Teravainen during the playoffs. Like these are some of their big time scoring threats that they don't have. And yet they keep winning games because they're playing the same team oriented game that leads them to so much regular season success. And now they found a way to carry that success into the postseason. Um, and that's pretty cool. Now it's not always the most exciting to watch uh, from a neutral perspective, but I respect that they're such a good team. And uh, the Eastern Conference Finals is going to be them against Florida. Florida is, wow, they are on a run. And I probably should have seen that coming because hey, this is a team that won the President's Trophy a year ago. So, and their roster didn't change that much. So they should have been able to go on a run like this. I just thought because they never really got it together in the regular season that they weren't going to be able to click in the playoffs and not against a Boston team that I felt was built for the playoffs. But I think Boston had some untimely injuries and maybe ran out of steam a bit, whereas Florida were able to turn it on to just the right time. And the big change that Florida made to their roster was adding Matthew Kachuk, and he was like built in a lab for playoff success because he's, he's a pest. He's got that grit to his game, but then he's also got so much hockey skill as well. I love watching that dude play. He, I think he's great for the game. Uh, I don't love Florida having success generally, but Matthew Chuck is awesome. So Carolina, Florida could be a fun series, but can you just imagine though, how much the networks are sweating? You could have like, you know, Carolina or Florida on one side and then like Dallas or Seattle or Vegas on the other side. Like it's a nightmare. Think about how Canadians are freaking out about these, not just Americans markets, but Southern American markets having success, <laughs> uh, which is, it's great for the sport. It, it's great for these markets to build hockey in these places that aren't traditional hockey markets. And these are all really good, really fun teams that are still in the game. So I think there is still, some great hockey left to come, and I'm really excited for that. Even if my bracket is uh, is about to go under, that's okay. I've still been enjoying the ride. So thank you to everyone who submitted your questions. That was great. Thanks to all of you for listening. Uh, stay tuned on Twitter. Uh, maybe in another month or so, we'll do another mailbag. Also, we have a new email that you can reach out to us with any questions, any comments, any ideas. Uh, any 
sponsorship opportunities. If you want to pay us money, we'll take your money. Money, please. Uh, anyway, that is the cannon at fourhockeyfans.com. That is the cannon at forhockeyfans.com. Uh, thanks for listening. We will catch you next time. For more content from the cannon, check out jacketscannon.com or follow us on Twitter at CBJCannon. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Our theme music is the song Green Eyes by Angela Purley and the Howlin' Moons. Angela's new album, Turn Me Loose, is out now. Go to angelapurley.com for more music and show dates.